Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. So we'll be preaching at this morning, looking at this morning. We're uh, kind of turning our attention away from the parables that we've been looking at over the last five weeks. And this Sunday is, is kind of a standalone uh, Sunday in terms of topic, and we're looking at generosity, as I said this morning, uh, generosity, living lives of generosity, looking at what can we glean from God's word about what it means to be a generous people, especially as we enter this season, this holiday season, a time where we're all thinking about how we can bless others, how we can be a blessing to our community, our families, etc., etc. So hear the word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is Paul writing. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus that the for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for your yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they needed, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. We're going to unpack Paul's words here in a bit, but I just wanted to introduce uh, this topic for you and really hang on to what we've been talking about over the last five weeks, that is the kingdom of God. Parables on the kingdom of God. Parables where Jesus describes, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like. And it's important for us to hang on to that because I think, and hopefully it's not news to you that there was this election this last week. Hopefully that's not news to you. But sometimes we get caught up in, those of us who claim that our primary allegiance is to King Jesus and to his kingdom, Sometimes we get caught up in, say, in this other kingdom or other kingdoms and start to fight for them a little bit more than we fight for the kingdom of God. Or we represent them a little bit more than we represent the kingdom of God. I, I have to say that this, for me, and, and maybe I've heard others say the same, that this was one of the most contentious election cycles I can ever remember. I, I realize I'm not that old. But I've heard many others say the same, that they cannot remember a time 
that, that, that it was so contentious and, and so close and so much anger on both sides and so much misunderstanding and talking past each other. And I see now that the ripples of unrest and discord are still spreading. It's not as if I was, I was kind of hoping, I'll be honest. I was hoping that when this was over, we would all just go like, okay, now here we go. And that's just not the case. The effects of this, the aftershock of this election, I fear, will be felt for quite some time. And I'm saying this not to speak on behalf of either of the so-called winners or losers, but as someone this morning trying to make sense, as a spiritual leader trying to make sense of what I see, what I hear, what I read, to make sense of how people have felt throughout this election cycle, those who have felt they've been ignored on both sides. We see that on both sides, don't we? People who feel ignored, like their voices weren't heard, like they didn't matter. And as people who follow King Jesus, that should call us to some attention because if anything, people matter. Human beings created in the image of God, no matter they're black, brown, white, yellow, whatever you want to call it, they matter. People matter and we need to pay attention when people are hurting and we need to listen. This election cycle reminded me, though, of my hope in the kingdom of God, and it was helpful for me to be preaching over these last four weeks, and then Pastor Kurt last week, about the kingdom of God, to remind ourselves of what Jesus says God's kingdom looks like. And we saw over the last five weeks, just to, just to remind you, we saw uh, Jesus saying um, in our series, Wheat, Weeds, Treasure, and Seeds, we saw that Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is growing whether we do anything about it or not. The seeds have been planted. The kingdom is here. It's growing all around us whether we do anything about it or not. Can we trust God in that? That the kingdom is growing. Even when things look ugly, the kingdom is growing. The kingdom grows in places where governments have tried to suppress it, and yet it grows. The kingdom grows, and that should give us great hope. We saw that the kingdom of God grows subversively like a mustard seed. That it grows, uh, what we might call today a grassroots effort. It's kind of growing underground, under the surface of what those in power, or uh, as I said, it grows like a, a mustard seed, not a redwood. Not a redwood, it's not powerful, and we sometimes want it to be powerful. But that's not how Jesus describes the kingdom. We saw that the kingdom, and this is the one that really threw us for the loop, even when there's evil intentions involved, evil, and, and, and people can see it, and it's not that we don't name evil for what it is, but for some reason, Jesus said, let the weeds grow with the wheat. And that was a confusing one. That was a hard one to understand. What are we supposed to do about that? And the big takeaway was, how do we confront evil? The reality of evil that we see, how do we confront it without turning evil ourselves? As kingdom participants, kingdom ambassadors for Jesus, how do we do that? It's hard. And then last week you saw that as, as, citizen, as citizens in the kingdom were to emulate the Father, the compassionate Father, arms open, willing to welcome any and all back into the family, show them that they have a place in the kingdom of God, that, that the truth is they have always been part of the family. No matter how far they've gone, they're always part of the family. And so what we've seen is that the kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And this is what Jesus' hearers didn't really want to hear and sometimes we don't want to hear either. We want the kingdom to look a certain way and it just doesn't look the way we want it. It's an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom, Jesus describes, where the first are last and the last are first. That doesn't make sense to us. It's a kingdom where the lost, the least, and the last 
have primacy. And it's the kingdom's mission, you might say, to care for, search for, call for, to be committed, to be the most committed to the lost, the least, the last. So I bring all of this up, not because uh, we're going to have a political conversation this morning. I don't know how fun that would be for any of us. But I bring this up because I need to be reminded, and as the leader of this congregation, I feel like we need to be reminded of where our allegiances truly lie. And that we represent a kingdom that has some different values, calls for different responses and actions, sometimes that may be in contradiction to what I see unfolding in the political conversation in our country from both sides of the aisle. And so as a follower of Christ, I have been asking myself, and I would ask you to ask yourself, how do I better represent King Jesus and his kingdom as I live in this geopolitical reality called America? And I love living in America. Don't get me wrong. I love it. It's been good to me. But I have to ask myself, what does it mean for me to represent King Jesus? And one of those things is by living a life of generosity. Or as Paul says, what we read here in 2 Corinthians 8, to excel in the grace of giving. I think this is countercultural. To excel in the grace of giving. To say that I want to pour myself out for others. I've heard others say that, call it a me three attitude of saying that in my life, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I have to truly say God is first, others are second, I'm third. My way is third. God first, others second, me third. And so I'm really wrestling uh, over this last week of what does it mean to excel in the grace of giving, to live a life of generosity. And I found some, some insights in 2 Corinthians 8 that I want to share with you. But first what I wanted to do is just think, uh, if you could think of in your own mind, what traits, characteristics, how would you describe someone who is generous? Just think about that for a second. Maybe picture someone who you would say that person is generous. What is it that makes them generous? Think about that for a moment. We did this as a staff the other day, and and here are some of the things that we came up with. I'm just going to see where I'm at here in my slides. (laughs) Here's some things we came up with. Someone who is outward focused. Someone who's willing to go above and beyond normal expectations. Right? It costs them something. Someone who knows that by giving this thing, by laying their life out, pouring out themselves, it's going to cost them something. That's generosity. Someone who, and I thought this was an interesting statement someone made, something that just really stuck with me, especially, this is why I bring up kind of the political climate we're at, but someone who understands the power of presence, of truly listening, making themselves available to others and saying, I really want to hear you, listen to you, understand where you're coming from before I answer and give you all the things that you're wrong about. Don't we do that, though? We all do that. I mean, as soon as we see we're like, I know where this is going and why they're wrong already, instead of truly listening, being generous with our time, generous with our ears, and we're going to talk about at the end, generous with our tongues, being open-handed with people. I like how one author put it, and I just had this quote up there. He said, generosity is more like a river than a lake. It's the flowing that matters, not the storage 
the flow of generosity. We've talked a lot. Uh, I don't know if it's just because of the lack of water here that's made me think this, uh, but we've talked a lot here about being in the divine flow, the river of life coming from the throne of God, that image in Revelation. We've talked about that over the last few months. We, we had a sermon on that. We talked about the waterfall, that, that, that See Me Covenant has a waterfall, and that is that we are a family of faith, passing on faith generation to generation. We want to keep that flow going. So I love this idea that generosity is like a river. It's the flowing. It's open-handedness. It's, it's saying it's, it's, all, it's all available to you. It's not the storage, the this is mine. Don't you dare come over here. You cannot take a dip in my lake. This is mine. So I want to let that picture just uh, inform our thoughts as we think about generosity this morning. Let's look at uh, Paul's text here a little bit more in depth um, from from, uh, 2 Corinthians 8. Paul writes, excel in the grace of giving. I want to look at the text. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth, the church that has resources. It's implied here that the church in Corinth has some resources available. They're a church with means. He says in verse 14, that they have plenty, that out of their current plenty they should give. And what's happening here is that Paul, the context, he is trying to take up a collection in the churches, an offering in the churches to take back to Jerusalem. He's trying to maintain a connection to those earliest Christians in Jerusalem, maintain a connection with them with all of these new Christians spread throughout the Roman Empire. And so they're taking a collection in these churches for the poor in Jerusalem, trying to help them understand that they're part of something bigger. It's not just their little church in Corinth, their little church in Philippi, or it's not just you people in Jerusalem are doing your own thing. They are all connected. They all have a part to play. So he's trying to encourage them to take up this collection to encourage the, and make this receive, or maintain this connection to the church, to the church in Jerusalem. And he writes about the Macedonian churches. These are the churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. He says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, Paul says, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. I love that phrase. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Some, some notes here about the Macedonian church that I think that we, we can learn some things from that church and from Paul's words to the church in Corinth. First off, overflowing joy, entirely on their own. I want to make it clear that Paul's words here, this is not a law, this is not a command, this is not Paul saying, I established these churches and now here's what you're going to do. You're going to give X amount, X percentage, that's not what Paul is doing here. We can argue for that elsewhere in Scripture, but this morning we're looking at Paul talking to churches saying they were eager to do this. As a result of their faith in Christ, even in the midst of a severe trial, whatever that means, whatever's going on in Macedonia, there's a severe trial, they're up against something, and they say, we don't care. We believe because of our faith in Christ, we need to be generous And the giving then, you would say, cost them. It hurt them. It was a sacrifice. They gave out of what they didn't even have. And I love that it says that they pleaded, they begged Paul to to participate in the privilege of sharing. 
They didn't see it as, oh, okay, so now we've become Christians and you're asking for our money already, Paul? No, they wanted to. We want to respond. We want to be a part of this bigger thing. We want to do this. It was their motivation. The last thing I would say about this, their motivation came from the fact, the last thing I've underlined there, that they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They had, they had made a commitment that said, we are all in. Our allegiance is to Jesus. We're all in. We're giving our whole lives to the Lord. So if you're asking us to, to, to take up an offering to give towards others who have also given up their lives to the Lord, to part, we want to do that. We want to do that. That is their motivation. Because they have responded to a call to follow Jesus Christ who laid down his life for them. And so they're responding in generosity. Paul then is asking the church in Corinth to consider responding in the same way, but now out of their plenty. I find it important to note again that Paul does not create a command, a mandate, a rule. He he explicitly says, I'm not commanding you to do this. But he's asking them out of the sincerity of their love, this is verses 8 and 9, not up on the screen, forgive me. Out of the sincerity of your love and in response to the radical generosity Jesus demonstrated that you would give. Don't do this because it's a command, it's a duty, it's an obligation. Okay, I guess this is what it means to follow Jesus. I've got to now give up some stuff. Great. I thought this was going to be fun and now you're asking me. No, it was, this is the, the central message of the gospel is that Jesus Though he was rich, for your sake became poor. That out of his poverty, we, meet, we might become rich. And certainly Paul does not imply there that we might become rich in stuff. In other words, one commentator says this, Paul reframes the whole collection here, this whole offering, as the gospel enacted. It's not just about getting money for the poor. This, Paul says, is part of what it means to practice one's faith. I'm not commanding you, Paul says, but I'm asking you to consider Jesus' model, and I'm eager to see how sincere you are in your commitment to him. He goes on to commend them, and this is what you have up here, to commend them, to give them some props, some praise. Thank you, he's saying. Last year, man, listen, church in Corinth, last year you were the first to give. You were the first who wanted to do this. Way to go. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. It's not a command. It's an encouragement. Finish the work. You were already willing, eager. You wanted to give. You had the desire to give. So now excel in the grace of giving for that is what followers of Christ do. And finally, And I don't think I have a slide for this either. Excuse me, pardon me. (laughs) Finally, the goal is for there to be equality as it pertains to our resources. We give out of our plenty and out of our scarcity. We give from what we have as we are able, with joy, with willingness, with what we have decided in our own hearts to give as a response to God being so generous with us. So we get to share in the work. I think this is the great thing about the church. I've had conversations with folks over the years who are like, but I don't, I don't have much. But when we come together as a family of faith, when we see budgets that we go like, oh my gosh, I can't even compute. Like the last church I was at had a million dollar budget and I remember talking to young people who were like, that just 
blows my mind that we can even do that. How, this is crazy. I don't even, how can I even participate? I said, but you're, every dollar goes to something in this budget. So whether you have much or whether you have little, you give as you are able to support the whole mission of the church. The whole mission of the church. So as Paul was saying thank you to the church in Corinth, I want to shift a little bit to what can we do? What do we do? What am I, why, why are we even talking about this this Sunday? What am I asking of you? Well, I'm not asking much of you this morning other, other than to be recipients of a great, big, huge thank you. Thank you. See me covenant. I want to say thank you to you because uh, back in May, I did a sermon giving kind of an inside look at the budgeting process of our church. Not everybody loves those kinds of sermons, okay, mind you, not everybody. But there was this overwhelming response of, oh, this is where we're at. This is where we're going. And so I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you that in June we passed a budget that many agreed was not necessarily a business-as-usual budget for Simi Covenant Church. I've been around church budgeting processes, and a lot of these, uh, if you've been around them, you know how they work. You look at last year's budget, you say, eh, maybe we can raise it by 1%. And so you kind of add 1% here and there, and you go, okay, that looks nice. Let's just pass exactly what we did last year and do it exactly this year with a little bit more money thrown at these other things. But this year, in faith, in faith, you all made some some great leaps. You said, we want to put more resources behind children and youth ministry. We want to put more resources behind missions and outreach. We want to hire an associate pastor We want to do these things. We believe we can. Let's do it. And on faith, you made those decisions. We made some significant changes to our approach to worship, and and you put faith in the leadership of the church. You put faith in me that these changes would help us move forward in mission and ministry. And I want to say thank you. That was not easy. Some came kicking and screaming. But we did it, and we're here, and I want to say Thank you for your generosity. Back in the summer months, we stated that our vision at Simi Covenant was to engage the generations in Christ's mission. Engaging the generations in Christ's mission. And we stated that the strategy we would employ was to gather, to grow, and to go. And we looked at that over the summer. It was important to me that we would, we would see ourselves, we would celebrate the fact that we have all the generations represented in this place. But the challenge then is how do we engage with one another? How do we get engaged in ministry? How do we engage in the mission of the church? How do we get engaged in each other's lives across generations, but realizing as well the biblical model that says this is a generation. We're all living at the same time together. We are a generation, having an impact on our our community, having an impact on our world. So we're engaging the generations in Christ's mission. Some ways that we did that is that we started grow groups this fall. And this fall, thank you, we had more people willing to host grow groups than people to put into them. And so if you're here today and you're like, I want to get connected. I've been longing to take a next step in my commitment to Christ and growing in faith and getting to know some people in the church. There are homes open. There are people willing to host more groups. Come let us know. Let us know if you would like to take that next step and get more connected, more committed, and growing in your faith. We have this volunteer band emerging. Hallelujah. There was some question. Yeah, you can clap for that. Yes. You know, we have more people engaged in worship ministry in the last four months than we've had in 18 years. 
That's a crazy thing. And I, I'm not, that, it's not a knock on anything. It's just that we said this is a new approach we're going to take. And we're watching it unfold. We're seeing the Lord bless the decisions we made. Because you faithfully said, okay, we believe that we're going to do this. And you've been generous enough to let us try it and see it happen. We're seeing more people engaged in ministry. We're on the right track. The last few months, our missions and outreach team identified five covenant missionaries. We've had two that our church is supporting, and now we've added three more. I want to just let you know, because sometimes you don't hear about these things. Uh, We received, uh, the church chair, Doug King, and I received an email from Covenant World Mission headquarters. They said, I write with the exciting news, this is coming from Chicago, that we write with the exciting news that the funding from the ECC of Simi Valley, that's us, We'll begin with covenant missionaries, the Groots, Hoskins, and Stokers. And we'll let you know more about where they're serving and how to get in touch with them. And this was the final thing I thought was really important that that so often you don't hear and you need to hear it because it's a big thank you to you. It says, this will be a real encouragement to these families as they continue ministry around the world. Our missionaries, they work so hard. Missionaries work so hard to raise support. Sometimes way too hard. Way too much of their time is given towards raising support and not doing the ministry God has called them to do. So when they receive word, and I heard back from one of these that I I know personally, when when she and her husband received word that our church was supported and they were ecstatic. You have no idea what this means to them to have a church saying, we support you. We're behind you. You can count on us. So your dollars, I mean, thank you because your dollars, your financial support, when you give a dollar here, goes literally to ministry around the world. That's happening through the ministry and mission of this church. I don't know if you remember this, but Pastor Cornelio came here from Tecate, Mexico. And in one day, after hearing the call, the need that he had in his ministry, we raised almost $800 in one day. That goes towards eight months of ministry for him. He's about $100 a month to do ministry. And in one day, you guys said, oh, yes, this makes sense. Please be blessed and gave him $800. Our missions team came alongside and funded the other $400 with money we budgeted. I mean, hallelujah, what an opportunity for the church to be generous, to be open-handed, to say, we want to see ministry happening and we have the resources to share like the churches in Macedonia, like the church in Corinth. And next weekend, next weekend we have this opportunity to respond, as we talked about earlier in the service, to a great need in our world, the need for clean water. Our students are going to be doing a water walk, and I want to continue to emphasize that the whole church is invited to participate. This is not something that, oh, the kids are doing and that'll be nice. We want everyone to come together and learn together and see the mission of God unfold through what the kids have started. What a great opportunity for them to teach us something, for us to walk alongside them, to see what they're learning, to hear about them, uh, what they're learning, and to be inspired towards action, whatever action God might call us to do. That we can show our community, our kids, what it means to excel in the grace of giving. Because that's what this is about, excelling in the grace of giving. So I say thank you. Thank you. You have been generous with your treasures. You have been generous with your money. You have been generous with your time by getting more involved in the life of the church. Many of you have been generous with your talent. 
You have gifts, you have skills. I've, there were people, a group here, uh, you're going to see it sometime, it's going to pop up, but a new, a new set design, people staining and giving hours of their time, coming over, volunteering to make this place beautiful so that we can have groups on site, so that when people come for a, a Gunger concert or a sing-along or a Thanksgiving Eve, they say, oh, this place is just, it feels warm, it feels inviting. They're giving their time, their talents, their treasures You all have responded to the call. You've responded to the call. The the people, again, that that are leading us in worship, they have these talents, they have these gifts and these passions, and they've been kind of sitting there with them. And now they're able to use them. That's a beautiful thing. Others of you, you have talents, ways to express how God has wired you. And I want to encourage you to excel in the grace of giving by giving your time and your talent. Uh, many, Many times, maybe that's the hardest thing for us to give. We're more open-handed with our, with our wallets, our paychecks, than with our time. It's hard to be open-handed with your time. You get a crunch. It's limited. But, but I want to encourage you to excel in the grace of giving with your time and your talent, just like we have with our treasure here at Simi Covenant Church. I want to cycle back to the beginning as we kind of move towards a conclusion of the sermon. Back to the realities that this election has created, and I want to talk about being generous with our tongues. They all had to start with T, because that's what pastors do, right? I was like, time, talent, treasure, tongues. There you go. It's weird, I know. It's a weird, tongues? uh, Okay, anyway. How do we be generous with our words? How can we be generous with our words? This election has provoked very strong sentiments, shown that we're deeply divided. I don't have to tell you that. As followers of Christ, I'm convinced it's more important than ever, now more than ever, that we are generous with our words. And by generous, let me, me, quick caveat, I'm not saying say more words. Because sometimes like, oh, be generous with my words, pastor told me, here I come, I'm going to let people have it. So I don't want to get on Facebook later today and I'm like, oh, they kind of took that the wrong way. Um, But how can we be generous with our words, generous with our tongues? I'm convinced more than ever that generosity with our words probably means more listening more, listening more, and being very wise, precise, clear with our words. I've been doing a a lot of uh, listening to podcasts, and something came up that I thought was really interesting that would would, uh, particularly teach or or preach for this Sunday, and um, I'll get to it here. Some, Some people have been talking about improv comedy. I don't know if you're familiar at all with improv comedy. Improv comedy, uh, the, the, the probably greatest example that most people know is a whose line is it anyway, where the actors get on stage, people feed them a topic, and then they just roll with it. They just have to go with it. There is no script. There is no rehearsed things. They just roll with it. There's a rule in improv comedy. I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but there's a rule in improv comedy that I've found very, very fascinating and think it could be a great lesson for all of us in how we are generous with our words. The rule is yes and. Yes and. In improv comedy, when something is given to the actors or when another actor gives something to the other actor, they're not allowed to say, no, I'm not going that way. No. Not going with that. They're not allowed to shut it down. They have to always say, Oh, that's interesting. And have you thought about this? 
So it's always building, always affirming what the other person has said. Trying to find something, even if the idea is super bizarre. And if you've seen some uh, improv comedy, a lot of times the ideas are super bizarre, and that's the point. You give these actors, it's like you mess with them. You give them the most bizarro thing possible and see where they're going to go with it. You might feel like some of your political conversations are a little like that. Where people give you the most bizarro thing possible from wherever you're coming from, and you go... What am I supposed to do with that? I want to shut that down immediately. What if, and this isn't just for political discourse, but it seems that that's what's weighty right now. What would it look like in real conversation to seriously listen to somebody and to affirm that you have actually heard them by saying, yes, I hear what you're saying, and not immediately offering a rebuttal, an argument, the right answer, but being generous enough to say, ah, I want to believe that this person, this applies to any conversation, that this person, they have thought about this. There's something in their life that I need to listen to because I don't understand it. Because I don't understand it. For me, having lived uh, in various places in the country, a, a big thing for me, ha- having grown up as a suburban kid in West Omaha, Nebraska, one of the whitest places on earth, trust me, When I moved to Chicago, Illinois and was all of a sudden in one of the most diverse zip codes doing ministry and meeting kids and trying to understand where they were coming from, what their backgrounds were, my world was a mess because I had answers. I had answers. You just do these things. These are the answers. This is the way you live your life. But I had to listen. I had to say, okay, they're coming from a different perspective, a different upbringing. I had to be generous. I'll never forget one time a friend of mine really called me to task. There were some kids in our youth group, some African-American kids, and for a little bit there was this strange style. And I say strange, but to them it was normal. And so this is, again, one of my own little biases and things. But they had put rubber bands around their pant legs. I was like, what are you guys doing? This is the weirdest thing ever. And I was just asking them about it, and they're like, why do you think this is weird? This is what we're all doing. I was like, but it's weird. Nobody puts rubber bands on the pant legs. What purpose does it serve? And they were like, but it's, this is what we're all doing. And a friend kind of took me aside and he's like, they probably think the way you dress, white boy, is really, really weird. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, that's their world. This is my world. And I am trying to like somehow tell, anyway. There's these things, I think, in being generous with how we listen, how we understand where people are coming from, that are going to be really important, especially if we are to really represent Jesus in the midst of this charged political reality. If we're going to represent Jesus, we need to listen. We need to listen even if we don't understand when people are grieving and hurting and saying that that the the outcome of this is is causing them to cry themselves to sleep at night. If you don't understand that, how can you listen to them? Or if you're on the other side and you're like, I don't understand how people are so excited. Can you listen to their grieving, to where, where they were at and their hopefulness in the new direction we could go? So we have to listen. And this goes for any conversation. We have to be generous. We have to add more yesness into our world. That's what this author said, who I got this uh, improv comedy thing from. He said, We have to add more yesness, affirming other people, 
not affirming everything, but affirming that you are actually listening. We are taking them seriously. So let us together, as individuals, as a faith community, excel in the grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving of our time, our talent, our treasure, and even our tongues. I believe as a church that we are on the right track. I am thankful, thankful to be a part of a faith community where you have trusted your leadership, you have trusted me, your staff, you have trusted us with the direction we're going and we're seeing fruits of that, results of your trust, your faithfulness, your generosity. I'm so thankful for that. Would you remember this morning as we close that generosity is more like a river than a lake. It's the flowing that matters, not the storage. May we be a community where generosity flows, our hands are open, our time, our talent, our treasure, and our tongues flow with the grace of giving. Would you pray with me? God, the whole reason we even talk about this is because you modeled generosity first to us. You gave your son, as Paul says, while we were still sinners, while we were still your enemies, you laid down your life for us. Who, who does that? No one but you, God. You are the one who pours yourself out for us over and over and over again. And So how else can we respond, Lord, but to respond in generosity, responding likewise with you as our model, Lord Jesus. We respond by laying our lives down for the lost, to the least, to the last. Help us, God, to excel in the grace of giving. That generosity might flow from this place out onto Alamo Street, down the streets of Simi Valley, into the neighborhoods, into our places of work, into our schools, that generosity would flow through us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?